God's Word, I want to encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat with me our affirmation. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. One of my favorite Christmas movies of all time is Elf. Will Ferrell is an incredible comedian. He is gifted beyond measure. Unfortunately, he has used his talents in a way that doesn't honor God. His movies typically are filled with inappropriate coarse language and behavior. But, but Elf is different. Apart from a few scenes that has what plugged in has called mild profanities, it is a feel-good movie that will have you laughing and will have you crying. Will Ferrell plays Buddy, who is an orphan who crawls into Santa's bag, makes his way to the, El to the North Pole, and becomes one of Santa's elves until he realizes that he's not really an elf. I want you to watch this scene with me, if you will.
And if you haven't seen the movie, I would recommend that you watch it, but that's up to you. The movie is all about Buddy trying to connect with his father and establish a relationship with his father. And what I've discovered is that everyone longs for a relationship with their father. No matter who we are, no matter how old we may be, we long for that relationship. To prove what I'm saying, I found another clip, a real clip, a real-life clip of a real-life Buddy the Elf who meets his dad for the very first time. I want you to watch this. Okay, so this is uh, me getting ready to meet my uh, biological dad for the first time ever. And it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend, what, 2020? Middle of a freaking pandemic, right? Crazy, crazy year. So I decided it's the season. And who better to greet your dad your long lost dad as then Buddy the Elf because you know who else what a better way to cut the ice let's go get him I'm here my dad Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your father. You may have had a good relationship like I did. Your dad may have been engaged, involved, right there with you in your life. Or, or you may have had an absentee dad. You may have had a, a dad that wasn't hardly ever home. A dad who was bitter or angry or mad all the time. I don't know how your relationship was with your dad, but here's what I know. The relationship that we need... The relationship that we're looking for is never going to be found in an earthly father, no matter how good they may be. The relationship that each and every one of us needs is a relationship with our heavenly father. You see, each and every one of us are born with a father void that only our heavenly father can fill. And again, doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what your background may be. You have a father void in your life. You have an emptiness in your life that's only going to be filled by a relationship with your heavenly father. But the good news is our heavenly father, he's not like Buddy's dad. He's not filled with flaws. Our heavenly father is perfect 
in every way. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 48. He said that we are to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus was saying, you have a perfect heavenly Father. He doesn't have flaws. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't blow it. He is perfect in every way. And he is not only perfect, he is loving. And his love for us is perfect. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that's what we are. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, loves you more than you will ever know, and He shows it to us perfectly. And there is no better Scripture to reveal that than the Scripture we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 15. The story of the prodigal son and the perfect father who reveals his perfect love. And so if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 11. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, the first thing I want you to see about our Heavenly Father is this. Our Heavenly Father loves us even when we reject Him and even when we walk away from Him. This story begins with this young man who is a younger of two sons, who evidently had a good home life. All of his needs are being met, but he wasn't happy. He didn't want to live in his father's house anymore. He longed to be out on his own. So he arrogantly approaches his father and demands his share of the inheritance. The word for want there that we read a little bit earlier is in the imperative. It's a command. He is demanding that his father give him his share of the inheritance. Now, normally an inheritance wasn't given until the death of a father. But this boy wanted his inheritance right then. And I don't think that, that our Western minds can fully understand what this son was actually saying. Kenneth Bailey, who is an authority on Middle Eastern culture, spent years researching this. And he said, as he went into villages and spoke to people, he would ask them, have you ever heard of a son making this request? And every time he would receive the same answer, never. And then he would ask a follow-up question, could he make this request? And they would say, no, it would be impossible. And then he would ask, if a son did make this request, What would the father do? And the people in the villages would say the father would beat him, of course. And then he asked the final question, why? And the answer was, to ask for that would mean that he wanted his father to die. You see, this young man was literally saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You were in the way of my plans, my life, my happiness, 
Give me my inheritance. Now I'm tired of you telling me how to live. I want to be my own boss. I want to make my own rules. I want to be my own man. You see, this, this younger son was rejecting his father. And he was rejecting everything his father stood for. And I'm afraid that's the way that many people in our world are today toward God. We want everything that God has to give us. We want to breathe his air. We want to eat his food. We want to walk on his earth. We want to enjoy his world. We just don't want God around. We want God to, to go away. We want God to leave us alone. And, and to be honest with you, that's what sin really is. Sin is a desire to live our life independent of God, to, to do it our way, to, to make our own rules. Now, can you imagine how this father felt? I mean, his heart had to be broken. His son, his very son was rejecting him. And understand, in those days in the Middle East, a typical father would explode with anger. The typical father would either beat or kill his son. But not this father. This father honors his son's request. He liquidates all of his wealth, and he divides his property between his two sons. You see, as much as God loves us, he will never force our love on us. He will never force us to obey him. He will never coerce us to love him or worship him. I've often wondered why God didn't make it where we couldn't rebel. I've oftentimes asked why God didn't make us so we couldn't reject him. But then I realized that if God did that, we could never truly love him. Because love is a choice. Love is a decision that we make. And God would never force his love on us. And God would never force us to love him. You see, even when we reject him and we reject his love, he loves us. Now, can you imagine how this father must have felt as he watched his son leave the house walk through the gate, head down the road into a distant land, realizing that he would probably never see his son again. In the book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, Henry Newen says this. He says, the son's leaving is a much more offensive act than it seems at first reading. It is a heartless rejection of the home in which the son was born and nurtured. And when Jesus talked of him going to a distant land, it indicated more than a desire to, to see more of the world. It speaks about a drastic cutting loose from the way of living, thinking, and acting that has been handed down to him from generation to generation as a sacred legacy. The idea of, of a distant land seems to apply that he wanted to get as far from his father as he could get, and he did. And he began to live his life, at least in his mind, the way he wanted to live it. He was living his way every minute of his life. The phrase, wild living, 
is translated loose, reckless, foolish in other translations. One paraphrase says that he wasted all of his money on parties and prostitutes. But as he was going out from party to party, so was his wealth, so was his fortune. This boy was literally losing his money. And yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of the fact that that this son was squandering this blessing that his father gave him, his father still loved him. Listen very carefully. Some of you may be in a distant land today. You're far from God and you're involved in things that break God's heart. You may look at the choices that you've made and the things that you've done and and you say to yourself, God could never love me, but understand he does. He loves you regardless of where you've gone and what you've done. When you take his values and throw them away and leave him behind, he still loves you. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not your addictions. Not your failures. Not even your rejection of Him. Nothing can separate you from the Father's love. But let's continue reading. Look at verse 14. About the time his money ran out of A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that that even the pods he was feeding the pigs, the pig slop, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. The second thing I want you to see here is that our Heavenly Father, He loves us even when we are wallowing in our sin. So this young man leaves his father, blows through everything his father gave him on wild living. And one morning he wakes up and he realizes that his bank account is empty, his money is gone, and he has nothing left. And then on top of that, a severe famine hits the land. And he gets the only job that he could possibly get feeding pigs. Have you ever noticed how Satan never shows us the ugly side of sin? He shows us the pleasure of sin. There's pleasure in sin. He shows us the good times, the gusto, the fun that we can have. But he doesn't show us the pig pen. Someone said it this way. They said sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. You see, Satan never shows us the pig pen, but it's there. And if you leave the Father's house, if you go out on your own, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a pig pen. Now, for a Jew, pigs were the most ceremonially unclean and despised animal on the planet. But this young man wasn't just feeding pigs. He was so destitute that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, the pig slop. Talk about hitting rock bottom. This prodigal son, 
had hit rock bottom. And yet, the father still loved him. Even though he was in a pig pen eating pig slop, the father loved him. There are some of you here today, and you've hit rock bottom. And maybe the devil has told you that God couldn't love you anymore. You've fallen too far. But I'm here to tell you that that's a lie. God loves you. God loves you even when you are wallowing in the pig pen. He loves you even when you are under the effects of sin. He loves you when you are at the deepest, darkest part of your life. He loves you. Now let's move on to verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. The third thing I want you to see here is our heavenly father loves us. When we're walking back to him. So the Bible says that the prodigal son came to his senses. In other words, his eyes were opened. He looked around and he realized, I've made a mess of things. My life is in shambles. I don't like this pig pen. I don't like eating pig slop. And he begins thinking of how good he had it at home. And he realizes that even the servants... In his father's house are better off than he is. So he comes up with a plan. He decides that he's going to go home and he's going to say, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But could you take me home as a servant? Now there's some disagreement here as to what this son was doing. Some say that at this point in the story, this was true repentance, but but there are other people that say that that's not the case. The, the son wasn't really repenting. He just wanted the father's food, the father's clothes, the father's bed. He was tired of the pain. He was tired of the hurt. He wanted it to stop. And he knew his only hope, his only help was in his father's house. And i got to be honest with you. I don't know the prodigal son's intentions. I don't know his heart. But here's what I do know. He made a step in the right direction. He knew that his only hope was with the Father. And at the very least, he took a step in the right direction. As a matter of fact, we're told in the story that he began the journey home. He got out of the pig pen and he started home. He, he didn't take a bath. He didn't change clothes. He didn't shave. He just got up and went. Growing up, at the end of our services, we would sing an invitational song and people would come forward and one of the songs that was the most favorite invitational song was Just As I Am. Many of you heard that song, Just As I Am, Just As I Am, without one plea. It's a song that tells us that we come to God just like we are. God doesn't say, straighten up your act and then come to me. God doesn't say, get cleaned up and then come to me. God doesn't say, make right what you've done wrong and then come to me. No, 
God says, come to me just like you are. There's a song that's a little more recent that we sing at times. It says, come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever. Come just as you are. And regardless of the reason that you come to the Father, the Father loves you. The Father wants you home. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're in a pig pen, you don't have to be. The Father loves you. But the story doesn't stop there. Let's continue. Verse 20 keeps on going. And it says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his father, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But, but his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead. And now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let the party begin. When the son was a long way off, the father saw him. Have you ever wondered how? Have you ever wondered why? I believe it was because every day, perhaps multiple times a day, the father went to a place on his property, perhaps the highest point on his property where he had the greatest view, and he looked out over the horizon to see if there was any sign of his son coming home every day, multiple times a day. He was looking for his son to come home. And you need to understand, no matter how far you've sunk, no matter how deep you've fallen, the Father loves you, and he's looking for you to come home. No matter how defiant you've been, how wretched your sin, how rebellious your acts, your Father wants you home. He wants you in his arms. The Bible tells us that he raced to meet his son. And even though his son had forgotten his father and wanted his father dead, his father never forgot his son. And he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him. And the Greek there literally says that he smothered him with kisses. There was no See what happens when you choose to live your life your way. There was no, if you would only listen to me, you wouldn't have experienced all this pain and agony. There was none of that. There was only the arms of love embracing a child. The father never brings up the past. He just wants to love on his son. And when his son is finally able to speak, the father's love has pierced his heart. It's obvious. He repents. He's ready to come home as a servant. But his father stops him in his tracks and lets him know, no, you're coming home as a son. You see the robe, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf are all pictures of the truth that the father takes us back as his children. And that's what the Bible says we are. We are his children. You see, out in the distant country, this young man learned about the misery that sin brings to our life. It always does. But in the arms of his father's embrace, he learned about mercy and unconditional love. 
Do you love for the Father's arms? I'm here to tell you this morning that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've fallen, the Father's arms are extended to you. But you have to come home. He's not going to force his love on you. And unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. There's another truth we need to learn, and that's this. Our Father loves us even when we refuse to love him. Listen to verse 25 and following. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants, one of the servants, what was going on. Your, your brother is back, he was told, and, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. When the older brother realized what had happened, his heart came to the surface for all to see. His explosion was the result of built-up anger that is now coming to the surface. First, he attacks his dad. I've been serving you all these years, and you haven't done anything for me. And then he dumps on his brother. Look how bad he's been, and, and yet you still love him. But in spite of this vicious attack that reveals a heart that never truly loved, the father responds in love. Don't forget in this story that the father had already divided the inheritance between the two of them. When the father said, everything I have is yours, it really was. He had already given everything to the son. But with every word that he spoke, he revealed a bitter, self-righteous, unloving heart. He wouldn't even go into house and celebrate the fact that his younger brother was now at home. Outwardly, this older brother was faultless. He had followed the rules. He had walked the line. But inside, he was filled with pride and, and arrogance. And it was obvious that he was self-centered. And yet, the father still loved him. You see, nothing compares to a father's love. And nothing compares to our Heavenly Father's love. Christian Stanfield has a song out that goes like this. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that our Heavenly Father's love never fails? It never gives up. It never Runs out as higher than the mountains I face. It's stronger than the power of the grave. It's constant in the trial and the change. One thing remains because on and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms. It satisfies 
my soul. I never, ever have to be afraid. One thing remains. Yes, one thing remains. In death and life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. My debt is paid. There's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love. How great is the love of our Heavenly Father. And there are some of you here today, I know, that have never truly experienced that love. Read about it. Heard it taught on. But that love never penetrated your life and changed it from the inside out. And I'm here to tell you that that's the one thing you need. You're not going to find what you're looking for in a distant country wallowing in a pig pen. No matter how good it looks, no matter how tempting it may be, you're going to find what you're looking for in the loving, compassionate care of the Father's arms. But He's not going to force His love on you. You've got to receive it. So have you? I want you to bow your head. And close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and, and you've never accepted the Father's love, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You, you can do it by humbling yourself before God, acknowledging your sin, and praying this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting that I'm a sinner. Like the prodigal, I've tried to live life my way. I've been trying to make my own rules. I've been living like you were dead. I'm sorry. I know you love me. You showed it by sending your son to die for me. And today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. I'm surrendering my life to his control. I'm tired of writing. I love you, Father. Thank you for loving me. Amen.